you had quite the productive weekend. <laughs> yeah, this weekend, here's my take, okay? Four-day weekends every weekend should be human default weekends. Yeah, I would <laughs> allow that. Welcome to episode 430 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, how are you doing? You know, Marshall, every time we hit like a 10 episode milestone, like 400, 410, 420, 430. Nice. Nice. It feels like... I don't even remember the person who made those past episodes. It feels like it's been 500 years since we made episode 420. Uh, nice. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, things are good. How are you? I'm great. We got an interesting episode lined up today. Something new. Yeah, we're going to try and mix up the format a little bit. We'll see how it goes. Okay. Since time is of the essence, let's get started. First of all, huge shout out to Zeppelin. Zeppelin is making this episode possible. What is Zeppelin? Well, they let designers spend more time designing and less time prepping design files for the team. They have a feature called Flows that lets you effortlessly build user journeys with native connectors, flow groups, text labels. So you don't have to like draw these extra arrow layers in your design tool of choice and keep those up to date as you move stuff around. Zeppelin does that automatically. You can learn more at designdetails.fm slash Zeppelin, Z-E-P-L-I-N. Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks, Zeppelin. We also have some new VIPs. Hey. Marshall, another good-looking list of VIPs. Welcome yeah. to the fam. Andrew Ambrosino, Chris Roy, Connor Mack, Peter Carlton, Shanberg, Patrick Marks, longtime friend of the pod, recent resubscriber Gabriel Valdivia, ah. Alessa Dorian Zlatan, and Aslam Marzouk. Wow. I think you got through that in a single take, Brian. That is unprecedented. That was one take. Wow. And I'm a little sad that Gabe left us, but I'm happy he's back. Actually, I when I got Gabe's email, like when I got the Patreon email that Gabe had subscribed, I screenshotted it and messaged him and I said, what the fuck? I was like, where have you been this whole time? And he assured me that he was just transferring his Patreon account ah, to okay. a different username, I believe. Here... <laughs> You want to know something? I'll say this on behalf of Gabe because I think you'd be comfortable with me saying this. Gabe told me that he's listened to every episode of the podcast. Even after the change? I think even after the change. Wow. I'm honored. And the cool thing about that is he can tell me and, and has told me when the podcast hits and when it doesn't, when we have maybe a, an off week. And I believe him because he has a lot of context. Mm -hmm. He's listened to a lot of design details. <laughs> uh, anyways. Good to know we have a barometer out there that we can turn to. I just think everything we do is amazing, Brian. Never a oh. bad episode. Well, I'm just saying he knows when we don't hit, but we've never not hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah, yeah, just, yeah. He's just assured me that he has the ability to tell me if we ever make a mistake. But yeah, <laughs> okay. no mistakes to be found thus far. 430 yeah, yeah, yeah. in. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Uh, welcome to the fam, everybody. Be yes. sure to check out your first sidebar if you're just uh, getting into this hot tub we call Very Important Pixel Patreon. While this is our 430th episode of Design Details, we've actually recorded many more episodes of Design Details, Marshall. Probably an extra 100 or so. Mm -hmm. And if you're hearing this message right now, that means you are not subscribed to our Patreon. And that means that extra sweet, juicy design details content is locked away. 
but it is locked away in a very accessible way. This is like the jail cell made of tin, right? <laughs> like you can literally just it's tissue paper. Yeah, tissue paper jail cell because for just a buck a month, you can get access to all of our bonus episodes of Design Details, the whole backlog, as well as bonus episodes every week going forward. We call these the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. And that lives at Patreon. Patreon.com slash design details for just a dollar a month. You can sign up, get that double app every week. So, you know, Marshall, our number counter, a little misleading, but uh, more content to be had at Patreon.com slash design details. So if you've been listening to the show and enjoying it and just want to hear more, for example, this week we are talking about how to become a design YouTuber, Marshall. Ooh, and it's not uh, me talking about it. It's you talking about it. Your, your boy uploaded some YouTube videos and is learning and has some things to talk about. So if you want to hear about design YouTube, be sure to subscribe on our Patreon and uh, join the fam. Water's warm. Come Just on Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. All right, let's get into it. Main topic time. We're going to try a little bit of a different format. We have a little bit of a backlog of questions but also some of the questions we were like, I think we could answer this in a minute or two and it wouldn't be a full episode. So we're going to try a little bit of a grab bag here and get through two, potentially three questions, depending on how things go. So Marshall, kicks off. All right. So all of these questions come to us from our GitHub repository. You can find that at github.com slash design details slash design details. And the first question comes from Emily. Emily says, hi. I'm curious how other teams maintain their latest design mockups for designs that have been shipped. I'm in a small team of two designers, and right now we have a Figma file where we make a new page for each new version of the app that's been shipped. We throw in every single page of the app for each version that was released, even if changes were only made on two or three pages. We landed on this method because we wanted to keep a clear picture of what the released designs are when we're starting a new project. However, it's getting a little annoying to maintain, and also the file is a bit too heavy. Do other teams do this too? I'm sure every team has a different method, but if you have any good tips on how you maintain ship designs, I'd love to know. Good question. (laughs) Good question. Probably not an answer. This is the one where like, "Ah, I don't know if we could actually spend a whole lot of time talking about (laughs) this. Yeah, I was like, I don't have an answer. I just have a coping mechanism. Does that count? Yeah. Okay, what's your coping mechanism? Okay, well, first off, I would say be careful in Figma building on top of the same file you might lose it to the red bar of death, the you know too much memory exceeded or whatever, and you just can't open the file anymore. This is only really a problem if you have a bunch of really high-resolution images in a small space that don't need to be that high-resolution. That will bog down the file something horrible, especially if you start compounding it page after page after page. So careful, <laughs> careful, careful, especially if you see the yellow bar of potential death. Start thinking about where to draw a line in your file of like, okay, we're going to archive from here back and then just keep from here forward and eventually have to draw another line when it gets too heavy. But having said that, another way to have kind of a source of truth is libraries. Figma is great at doing componentry stuff in libraries. So, and and granted, this is on a much larger scale with a bunch of other teams and blah, blah, blah. But if you keep key screens in your library, maybe even separate from your main component library that you have all of your bits and pieces and icons and all that stuff. If you have a separate library of just key screens, you can keep that as the source of truth and that is always the current latest version. If you want to keep a snapshot of what the app looked like at any given time, which sounds like what you're doing with these pages, all you got to do is create a new file with all of the instances or if you already have one set up, just dupe that file 
every single instance of every key screen and then just don't update it. Just leave the file as it, as it is and it'll always stay that way. When you want to create a new snapshot, just dupe that file and accept all the changes from the libraries. It'll update and then just never update it again after that. Does that make sense? I would just detach. Like I would be too worried that I would go into autopilot and like review and publish or review and approve. Yeah, you could detach. And... I feel like that would be a lot of manual work to go through. I'm not sure. Maybe is there? I bet there's a plugin. Bulk detach, or you could yeah. write an automator script with the automator plugin or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, detaching would be the permanent easy way to make sure that it stays exactly in that state. Yeah, the only thing I have to add here is when when we were starting the GitHub apps, I thought I would do a file per version, and I thought we would release like milestone versions, so you know, 1.1, 1.2, 1.3. But we really quickly just outgrew that, mostly because it became unclear how we should ship a version. You have like patches that actually fix stuff, and so then you have a, a file per patch or is a patch a page. But then you also have features that develop across versions, right? Like you get the first part of a feature in on this version, but the second half of a feature in on the next version. Uh, so it really became unclear. So the way we do it now is we have a file for features. And honestly, the files are just disposable. Like after the feature ships, we just move on. And so I think the the advice you gave that resonated the most was to just maintain a system of key screens so that when a new feature ships, you are starting from a somewhat close to baseline source of truth, you know, representation of a home screen or a, in our case, like a pull request or an issue or something like that. And I don't know, I, I've given up on caring that much about the pristine nature of my files because so much of the work honestly is throwaway. Like once something gets built, a lot of the Figma artifacts no longer matter. So I've become a lot less precious and prefer, yeah, let's just have a few good things to get new projects started off on on solid foundations. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I kind of have to be precious about it because <laughs> I'm maintaining. Yeah, yeah. A this bunch. is this is totally contextual. Like we yeah. are just infinitely smaller than than YouTube. Yeah. But yeah, if, if you have a smaller team, yeah, it, I mean, it's nice to maintain the time capsule and everything. But if it's coming, well, I mean, all the files are there. Like we can go yeah. find the feature file at any point in time. We just aren't worried about keeping those up to date or anything. Yeah. I I think another thing maybe to keep in mind here too is like how you introduce new patterns as components in your libraries. Like when does it get added? Like after it's already shipped, once it's real, real, then it's available or before it's shipped, but in some sort of beta state. So it's clear like this isn't real yet. But again, smaller team, you don't have to worry about that. The two of you already know what's real and what's not. But hopefully that helped, Emily. Like I said, it's a coping mechanism. It is not necessarily a solution. Uh, Maybe we'll get a better kind of first-party built-in solution for this type of thing eventually. But for now, key screens as components is is one way to go. And like Brian said, it's a it's a good place to start for subsequent screens. When you create a new thing, you can start from a baseline that you know already exists and just change what's necessary to change. All right. All right. You want to do the next one? Our next question comes from Zach Shea on GitHub. Open their first issue in the design details repo. Zach says, what's the deal with Snapchat? It's a great place to start, Zach. Yeah. What is the deal with Snapchat? What's the deal? What's the deal? <laughs> um, Zach continues, I've always wondered how Snapchat was able to get away with the design that broke so many conventions, particularly in the way you navigate the app. Over time, they seem to have been returning to a normal nav pattern, especially now with the new tab bar design. What do you think of the app's design and evolution? And do you know of any other apps that break the rules and still find success? 
So I got to start off by saying I haven't opened Snapchat in years. <laughs> yep. So news of the tab bar design was news to me, but not surprising. So here, here's what I think about this. I think Snapchat, their confusing experience years ago when they first launched was fine because it was in service of creating a new mechanism for social consumer photography sharing applications, which was we're going to get you right to that creation moment as quickly as possible. And that at the time was revolutionary. But Jacob's Law wins. Jacob's Law. Do you want to recap Jacob's Law, Marshall? I know you're a big fan of this one. Jacob's Law is basically the fact that users spend most of their time not using your app. So your stuff should work the way they expect other people's stuff to work. Yes. So under Jacob's Law, eventually patterns and standards will just win, right? Like the most common patterns that people experience across most apps will become the most easily accessible and most predictable things to use. And so I think if I had to guess, what happened is like designers or PMs or somebody realized that they can actually make features more engaging or used more often by just following conventions that most people expect to see. So for example, if you have just an icon, people might tap on that icon. They might be curious. If the icon's really good, it should be self-explanatory. But an icon with a label, mm, that's going to get tapped a whole lot more. Same thing with if you have an element that is visible on a screen, that will get tapped a lot more than something that is not visible on a screen, like something hidden in a menu. And so I feel like this is why over time we've just converged on these patterns. Everybody has a tab bar because everyone expects a tab bar because it turns out tab bars are really useful ways to like structure application information architecture and get people to, to accomplish different jobs you know, based on which tab they're in. So I don't know actually what Snapchat's tabs are in this case, but I just have to imagine it was some evolution like this where, hey, you know, we can actually create a more engaging experience if we use patterns that people expect and are used to. I don't know if that's true, but it did remind me of a couple other apps that have had have gone through this evolution. I remember Slack when they introduced their tab bar maybe a couple of years ago. Funny enough, though, Slack, I'm not sure needed it. I think I wanted it and then they shipped it and I've never used it. Because at first they did end up, they actually had a nice tabless design. Other apps that like broke patterns that seem to have stuck around are like Tinder, where you swipe cards around and that became an interaction design pattern that other apps use. Maybe TikTok is a good one, where you navigate from video to video by just scrolling up and down. Whereas before that, most video consumption apps always had this mode of you tap into a video and then you tap back to go to a list of videos. Or well, even then with like stories, it was a tap on like the right third of the screen to go forward or swipe to go through all of the stories to the next person of stories, right? But it was a horizontal axis, not a vertical one. And maybe this gets to the point of like, you mentioned Jacob's Law, I think what Snapchat was originally trying to do was like anti-Jacob's Law on purpose. It was an intentional thing because I think their original demo was the youths, Brian, the the young ones. And 
one thing that will kill an app that is meant for the youths is when the olds find it and infiltrate it, right? Uh-huh. And one way to, to keep the olds out is to make it really confusing and hard to use. But the uh-huh. youngs, the youths will figure it out. They'll, they'll power through. And then it becomes this thing of like, I know and I'm on the in, like I'm in the know of this secret and other people can't get in because it's too complex, right? But I can also be the cool person who can share that knowledge to somebody else if I want to let them in on the club. Like, oh, this is how you do that. Did you know that you could do this, right? That's fun. And I I think a lot of their initial growth was because of that exclusivity factor. Now they're big enough and they're trying to expand the scope to the point where it's like, well, we need need the olds now. So we need a more... we are such boomers. (laughs) (laughs) What do they call us? Geriatric millennials or something? Something. I don't know. Call me whatever. Yeah. But I don't know. I I think this was an intentional thing. And now the app itself has matured to the point where they need to make it more accessible. Then you'll see this in everything, right? When, When there's a small version of the startup version of the app, It's quirky and has rough edges, but that's kind of part of the appeal of it. And the bigger it gets, the bigger it gets, the more people have to use it, the more kind of lame it gets, quote unquote lame, because it's like, well, it needs to be understandable. And, you know, you want a few billion people to use the app. It needs to have labels on those fucking icons because some people have never seen those icons ever before in their life. They need to be labeled. Anyways, uh, I think this was all originally intentional and the change is just due to the app maturing. Fair enough. I, a, as you were talking, I, I agree. I went ahead and installed Snapchat, Marshall, and I've logged in. I have my account still. And they have a tab bar, but they've actually got kind of an interesting tab bar design because they fit in. They were able to have their cake and eat it too, which is they open straight to the camera, but they have the tab bar and the way they do it is kind of nice with taking advantage of OLED screens that, you know, are black. So their tab bar is black. So it actually just looks like part of the phone's bezel and the camera preview is above that. But they still don't have labels on the tab bar items. They just have colors and icons and little arrows that point to your active tab, which is also hilarious that they need to have an arrow to point to the active tab instead of it just being obvious. But Anyways, I don't know what these tabs mean, but I guess if you're a, a youth, you, you learn it and you figure it out. Yeah. Well, hopefully that answered the question there, Zach. Uh, that's that's <laughs> the deal with Snapchat, I think. This is all speculation, but I think that's what's going yeah, on. Yeah. All right. And do you want to try and do a third or no? Yeah, let's sneak in this last one real quick. So this last one uh, comes from Manny. He asks, what makes a good manager? What do you think are the core skills a manager should have? Also, when do you know you're ready to be a team lead or a manager? Do you have to be a great IC to be a manager? I personally don't think so. They're very different roles and require different skills. Yeah, uh, good questions. This oh, one, this is a good one. I feel like we could talk about this for half an hour. Yeah, let's okay. Let's dip our toes. Here yeah, let's dip into... our toes. If people want to hear more, then we'll do more next week. How about that? Okay. All right. I wrote down a few notes here. Do you want to start first? Yeah, I'll start. I'll, I'll give my hot take on on these things. Obviously, there's a lot of depth here. I've never managed, but I've been managed, and I've had good managers. And one of the things that it just sounds silly to say it out loud, but it's true, was the best managers I've had just gave me a shot. They put me in a position to try something and take some accountability, take some risk, present to a leader, own a project, and they told me that they believed in me and they told me that they trusted me to get to the right outcome. And 
there was a realness about it. Like I felt like I had real responsibility. I felt like I had uh, a shot to prove myself and they were, you know, they gave me that at the same time. It wasn't like, Hey, go do this. You're going to be great. Like, I don't need to check in. They actually really cared about the quality of the work and they would check in and push me to be better. I remember showing stuff to managers and they would ask like, what if this was more fun? Do you think that could be more useful? Could this be simpler? Like just basic design crit shit. But the important part of that was that when we finally arrived at a point where they gave me feedback that's, you know, they're like, this is good. I knew they meant it. I believed them because up until then, they just told me over and over again where it was bad and where it needed work. And so I feel like, I don't know, maybe this boils down into giving people a shot, being candid, actually pushing somebody to get better at the craft and not sort of softballing them or being fluffy and, oh, it's fine. Like, yeah, this is good. Like kind of getting out of the shit sandwich trap and actually just telling people how to make the work better. As far as the the sub question here about do you have to be a great IC to be a manager? I think the answer is no. But if I'm being honest, I respect managers who have been designers. So we could probably spend a lot more time on that. But I like working with managers who understand why designing things is hard and have opinions about the craft and are interested in why things look and work a certain way. And I think a manager who hasn't been through the process of building up their own hard skills to design experiences might feel disconnected from my ability to do good work. So anyways, maybe that's a spicy take as well. But I I recognize that not all managers were, you know, the best ICs. But if I had to choose, I would rather work with a manager who is a good IC. Mm, interesting. I would I would rather take a good people manager who never touched a pixel in their life over a great pixel person who isn't necessarily the best people manager. Interesting. Yeah, I think I'm the opposite, but I'm sure we could maybe dig into some subtler points there. And, you know, obviously you wouldn't want one or the other, but I think I'm the opposite of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's nice to have both. And I, like you said, I think it gives you a lot of street cred. It's nice to know that that, that person has been in the trenches and understands what it's like to go to war. Um I don't think it's necessary, especially like Manny, the, the question asker said, they're very different skill sets, like what makes a good people oh, totally. manager. Yeah, they're yeah. totally different skill sets. Yeah. yeah. And just because you're a good designer doesn't mean you're going to be good at managing people. But I mean, so one of the things I wrote down here is uh, I used to call myself a shit umbrella, meaning that I would shield my direct reports from all of the stuff coming down from above that could otherwise be super distracting and make it harder for them to actually do their jobs. So I'll just deal with all the shit from above. I'll let you know the things you need to know to do your jobs. Otherwise, like, I'm the umbrella. Don't worry that it's raining. And the reason that I did that is because I noticed that in the good managers that I had of like, wow, it seems like, you know, it's like the the duck analogy of like, well, the duck looks calm on the surface, but under the water, the feet are <laughs> yeah, paddling like crazy. Furiously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. I got the sensation that like, there was some crazy paddling going on under the water, but all I could kind of see was like slight ripples on the surface of the water. And I realized that that was because my manager was protecting me from those things because it would have been distracting or demoralizing or discouraging or for whatever reason, it would have been bad for my productivity. So but once I realized that that was a thing going on, I was like, okay, if I'm ever a manager, I'm going to do that for my people so that they don't have to worry about this stuff. Can I give you another spicy take on this? Yeah, yeah, please. I 
feel like I grew as a designer when a little bit of that shit snuck through. I think there's always a degree of being a shit umbrella. Like you just are in different meetings and have different conversations and there's a certain necessity to that. But I've had so many moments where managers were actually willing to sort of pull that back and expose me to some of the problems at their level, problems at the organization level, at the company level, at the leadership level, like these different points of view, different problems that other people are dealing with. And I always appreciated that perspective. You know, they never told me that expecting me to be involved or to help or like be a person that could fix it. But it was more like, hey, I'm going to expose you to some of the ways big companies work. And I've learned from that. It has helped me to have a little bit more confidence in understanding how to operate within a big company or even just how to position some of the, the projects I'm working on, like more tactically knowing that these conversations are happening upstream where people are fighting about the future of this org or this project, you know, that kind of stuff. So I don't mind a little bit of that getting through. In fact, I actually consider it a little bit of, it's like kind of on the scale of trust and respect that a manager would feel like I have the ability to deal with it and not be overwhelmed by it and not be distracted by it or demoralized by it. So I don't know, maybe there's a little bit of a a gray area there. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I do think it is important to peel back and show some of the inner workings, but you do that on a very selective basis when you feel like somebody is ready to handle that kind of nonsense. My default operating mode is just shit umbrella. Well, there's a lot more to say here, Brian. Should we cut it off here and pick it up next week? Yeah, let's talk about more management stuff next week. Uh, we could even probably put out a little bit of a feeler into the Twitterverse and hear so maybe... As, as a prompt for next week, if we're going to talk about managing, how about you, listener, uh, whoever's hearing this, if you have good stories or, or nightmare stories of things that you feel like a manager has done that worked really well for you or things a manager did that you really didn't appreciate, uh, tweet at us and we can try and figure out how to incorporate that into next week's episode and refine our own points of view on some of these things. Cool. Yeah. And it sounds like we might disagree on a couple of points. I think we are. Yeah, we're disagreeing. This is fun, Marshall. We yeah. never disagree on stuff. They're so rare. Cool. All right. Well, we'll pick it up next week. Uh, let us know. Hit us up on the Twitters. All right. Cool things. Cool things, Brian. You go first. Sure. So my cool thing this week is an iOS app. It is called Must, which I sent to you. Yeah. And uh, you went nuts on it. I went kind of nuts on it. I'm still working on going nuts on it. Must is like a prettier version of Letterboxd, which for movie aficionados will certainly know what that is. But if you don't know what Letterboxd is, it is an app where you can curate the movies you have seen and organize a list of movies you want to see. Must is like that, but prettier. Uh, Feels a little bit sleeker, more modern, more like it fits into the iOS ecosystem. So the trade-off here is Letterboxd has better social features. Must is just prettier to look at. Look at your collection, dig into an actor's filmography, all these kinds of things look and feel better, in my opinion. Uh, so anyways, yeah, I found Must and sent it to you. And I think we've both gone through and, you know, basically recreated our letterboxed profiles. I'm, I'm maybe halfway through my list, but... Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the addictive aspect of it. It's a little bit like Tinder or something where you're just kind of swiping through movies and going, seen it, seven. Seen it, ten. Haven't seen it, don't want to see it. Haven't seen it, want to see it. Seen it, four. Seen it, ten. You know, Uh that's just fun to just go through and 
my opinion, my opinion. Oh, I want to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that movie. Yeah, want, right? And now I have a curated list of all the things that, all the movies I still want to see. It's great. Yeah. All right. Well, it's at mustapp.com if people want to try it. Otherwise, link in the show notes. Uh, check it out. Cool thing, Brian. Uh, and likewise, you are aware of my cool thing, another phone thing. So this is a widget called Clear Spaces. So I'm not super huge on widgets. Like I don't have any standalone apps that just are for the widget. But this thing is to clean up your home screen and it can allow you to kind of create an Android-like home screen, basically push your apps to the bottom of the screen. This thing is called Clear Spaces. And Brian, it's really smart. All it does is Set your background to perspective off so that it doesn't kind of do the parallax thing when you move your phone. Take a screenshot of an empty homepage in light mode and dark mode with like your wallpaper background and put those screenshots into the app. And then on your home screens, you can add a widget, either small, medium, or large, and you tell it what part of the screen that it's in, and it will sample the part of the the wallpaper that you fed into it to make it look as though there is nothing there. So basically it's an it's a widget with an image, but the effect is that it's a blank space on your home screen. Is this making sense, Brian? Uh-huh. Yep. It, it required me to see a video of you using it to see what the effect is where it creates these blank spaces on your home screen. But yeah, it's quite cool when it works. Yeah. And so what's really cool is you can put them as like the top layer in a stack. You know what it reminds me of, Brian? It reminds me of like those old uh, like 80s flip up headlight cars. Like I think Toyota Celica had one, the Ferraris uh-huh. had it or whatever. Uh-huh. Like the, the headlights go down. It just like looks like flush hood. But then, uh-huh. you know, the headlights pop up. That's basically kind of the feeling I get from this. It's like flush background, but then you swipe up on that area and your music widget comes into view or your calendar comes in or whatever. It's re- really nice. I don't know. But it allows you to position the remaining space where your actual apps go very deliberately. So, for example, I, I use this in combination with the focus feature that when I'm in work mode, I have a bunch of widgets and basically four apps that I use, and those are in the bottom right. And everything else, I have a clear space widget on each of them. So I can just have a really clean phone screen with four apps on it and my dock, and that's it. Or I can show my calendar if I want to see that, or I can you know listen to my audiobook or whatever, but it's all hidden away. I don't know. Maybe this is like the, the very tidy... Yeah, this is peak Marshall tidy. Is, <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> Having hidden little widgets nested under your wallpaper. It's pretty cool, though. Anyways, clear spaces. I think it's a couple bucks. I forget, but uh, it's worth it, especially if you're into a nice, clean home screen like I am. All right. Link in the show notes. Cool thing. Marshall, this has been episode 430 of the Design Details podcast. Everyone else, we hope you enjoyed listening. Let us know what you thought. If you did, we're on Twitter at Design Details FM. We always appreciate tweets. Tweet at us. Uh, We love to hear it. If you have your own question, be sure to head to our GitHub, github.com slash design details slash design details and open an issue. Thank you to Emily, Zach, and Manny for asking today's questions. And uh, if you want to hear more content, more design details, this isn't the end. If you head to patreon.com slash design details, you can get access to our bonus episodes every single week called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. Starts at just a buck a month. And today we're talking about design YouTubing. If you want to hear about that, get access to the backlog and future sidebars going forward. Once again, that's at patreon.com slash design details. All right, that's it. We'll catch you next week. Bye. 
Uh, I had a four-day weekend. It was great. I was very productive. I worked on lots of things, but also took lots of breaks and went for hikes and got out of the city and spent time with friends and partner. And I felt like it was ticking all of the boxes for a well-diversified and fun weekend. So I don't know. I feel like I want to make sure the record's straight here because some people are like, how do you make so much stuff? Do you even have time to work on GitHub stuff? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely have a life, so... I hope. Maybe <laughs> not. I don't know, Marshall. I don't know. You have much more of a life than I do. Well, we just entertain ourselves in different ways, right? Yeah. You go on hikes and produce all this stuff, and I shoot robot dinosaurs with a bow and arrow. 